Hey there, AMC Turn fans. Welcome to another episode of the Turn After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. Tonight, we are talking about Season 4, Episode 3, Blood for Blood. And also, ow, my heart, because the writers just punched me in the heart for this episode. We're going to talk about it. Stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, AfterBuzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Holy cow, guys, this is so upsetting. <laughs> I am so sad right now. This was a bombshell of an episode, and my co-host decides to go and go off on a solo mission so that I'm here to not so quietly grieve and just generally speaking, be sad. Um, anyway, hey, Turn fans. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Turn After Show here on AfterBuzz TV. Uh, tonight we're covering Season 4, Episode 3, Blood for Blood, also known as just, this is just going to be about anywhere from 20 to 40 minutes of Megan just crying and just generally speaking being upset uh be sure to follow my co-host katie cullen who is sadly out this week uh be sure to follow her on all the social media networks at kia j that is k-i-a-x-e-t and uh, as i said before i'm megan salinas you guys can tweet at me at the mangwin that's t-h-e-m-e-n-g-u-i-n um we are going to be keeping an eye on the hashtag abtv pardon me abtv turn as well as an eye on the live chat uh, for all of those of you watching. Um, I'm having a, I was going to say, I'm having a little trouble reading yeah, that. Can you help me out? Yeah, we got someone in. Uh, Turnland is actually here to agree with you. Hey! Yeah. How's it going, Turnland? You guys are the best. Thank you so much for keeping me company uh, as I sit here and quietly sob into this microphone. Um, before we get started, I also want to say thank you to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We love hearing from you you guys and it is the best way to let our producers know that you guys like this show that we're putting on it makes us more searchable and it just brings a little sunshine into my day so please if you haven't already done so go to itunes rate subscribe leave a comment about how much you love this after show all right let's get right down to the main emotional focal point of this episode which is of course the fact that richard woodhull is dead now that is insanely upsetting um i was talking last week about how exciting it was that richard had finally become a reluctantly albeit but finally became a part of the spy ring he was finally a member of the culper ring and was helping out we, because as we said, Abe is the worst spy, and we finally have a team together in the form of him and his wife, and now his father. They could have been this amazing trifecta family of spies, and now, now Richard is gone, and he's been such a fixture of the show, and he was such an interesting character somebody who cared about his family first and foremost but was also completely fine with you know kind of screwing people over if it meant making a profit for himself but then at the end of the day was still doing his best to try to protect good men and oh and all of that all of that is just gone in an instant and it is so, so upsetting, um, especially because it's done in such a quick and I won't even say unceremonious way. It's just shocking. This, because uh, 
I'm used to other shows. I'm used to having an abusive relationship with other shows. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? The shows where you go in and you're like, oh, man, Game of Thrones is just really going to hurt me, right? Uh, but <sighs> this one, I, I love term, but I kind of am worried that turn is going to become one of those shows that for the remainder of the series, just it becomes an abusive television relationship. And I'm genuinely concerned about that because this is episode three of the final season and killing off Richard Woodhull is basically saying, yeah, we're not messing around anymore and they're going to be more. Because people have died on this show. I thought it was crazy when Sackett was murdered. Um, I thought that was shocking. But as far as most of our main characters go, there hasn't really been any big character deaths with the exception of John Andre, which also, R.I.P., but and also my broken heart. But... So killing off Richard Woodhall the second he decides to become involved, and that's the problem. I, I get it now. I get why they did it. He's too competent. Having Richard there to help Abe would have made things too easy. Oh, that's upsetting. Oh, that's insanely upsetting. I'm sorry. Would you mind increasing the font a little bit on the live chat? I'm having a little bit of trouble. Thank you. Uh, yeah, we have Turnland saying um, he was just ripped away in a second. There was no messy goodbye with drama. It's what made it so real and raw. And I have to concur with that assessment. Um, uh, oh, Joshua Price is in the live chat, too. Hi, Josh. Uh, Freddie there. We I, I worry about Freddie after this episode, too. <laughs> Not even going to lie. Um, so, yeah, be sure. keep the Keep those comments coming, guys. But... What we really have here is it's such a sad goodbye because it, this is an emotional turning point for Abe, first and foremost. But like I said, I feel like the bigger thing is the emotional turning point for the audience because I verbally gasped when I saw this happen. And to just shoot a character in the head that has been with us for four seasons who had come, especially with the conversations he had been having with Abe earlier in the episode, he had come to this point where, you know, he was willing to go to these extremes for his family. And, and again, this is, it's almost like there's a war going on in this show. Who knew? People could just die at any minute. And um, it's a reminder that war has consequences. And, yes, I think we're going to see more and more of, um, yeah, there are going to be more consequences. Um, Turnland also comments, a lot of fans have remarked about how surprising it is to mourn the death of someone we've spent three seasons despising. And I really think it's because of Richard's character arc. I mean, he has changed and he's been this very multifaceted person throughout the course of the season or throughout the course of the series uh so it's it's one of those things where it's just show to see somebody come so far and see it all taken away in just a matter in the blink of an eye it, it's definitely something shocking but it doesn't at the same time even though it's shocking it doesn't feel gratuitously so it doesn't 
feel like this was just done for the sake of shock and awe. It really does feel like this is a real consequence of the circumstances that they're in and the enemies that they've made. Um, Josh Price, uh, again, a.k.a. Freddie, says, it makes Richard's contributions less wisdom to Abe's plan... um, plan in the previous episode even more poignant and even even in this even in this episode when they're choosing which prisoners to exchange first abe steps forward and richard says no i'll go first and because of course if anything goes wrong he wants abe on the side with his friends and sure enough that decision got him killed um and also, yeah, huge shout out to the actor who portrayed Richard, Kevin McNally, who has uh, who has said some very nice things about this show um, in the past, and so that I think is even more it's even more tragic is because th- this is a wonderful actor who has been very beloved by a lot of his cast members, and now he's gone. It's just so upsetting. Um, Kara Smith makes the argument that Abe isn't a bad spy. He's just too good of a person to be that devious. And I feel like there's a little bit of merit in that. Um, I don't want to say a little bit. There's a lot of merit in that. I feel like the problem is, as Richard puts it in this episode, you know, Thomas was always bigger and stronger, but Abe is always the fighter. And as a fighter, he's not necessarily, that's not necessarily what you need a spy to be. Um, Abe has always had that righteous fire in him to want to do what is right. And a lot of times that leads him to make a lot of rash decisions. And and sometimes it gets him into circumstances where he has to make terrible decisions and he just has to kind of figure out a way out of it. And even before Richard's death in this episode, we had this moment between him and Abe where Richard is trying to cope with the fact that the uh, the troops who were at who were there at Setauket, they're dead. And he he tried his best, even though it would have completely unraveled their plan. He just, he felt so compelled to try to save them anyway. It was something he didn't even think about. It was a spur-of-the-moment decision. And he asks Abe, how do you reconcile that? And the answer with that Abe gives is that you don't. Uh, because he ended up having to murder... <laughs> Ensign Baker way back in season one and that's a decision that still haunts him to this day and it will probably always haunt him and when Abe says you know it's not something that you can reconcile it's just something you have to live with this at the end of this episode this is going to have to be something that Abe can't reconcile this is something that Abe is also going to have to live with because it was his actions that ultimately doomed Richard. And that's something, you know, it was for the good of the country, but it was the detriment of his family. And this is now two members of his family that Abe has inadvertently gotten killed. And whether I feel like his resolve to keep fighting isn't going to be diminished, but that in and of itself, I feel like would be enough to make somebody quit. Um, uh, 
Maria in the chat goes, the whole episode was just an emotional roller coaster. Honestly, I'm never not on the edge of my seat during the show. Every actor contributes so amazingly, like I can't explain explain it properly. And I agree. Last week I was like, I can't put my finger on what what it is that makes this show so good, but it's unlike any other show I see on television. And so, yeah. Talking about that, though, I I might still think that Abe is a terrible spy, uh, but I have to give him some props in this episode because after their group was ambushed by the Queen Rangers, he had some serious solid snake-level skills going on as he went out to, to go around to flank them. He was actually pretty stealthy and showed a lot of restraint in, an, in a situation where it would be so easy to be emotional. It's only towards the end of the sequence when his gun misfires and he tries to attack somebody with hand-to-hand combat that he is bested. Um, but yeah, it's it's still... he. I mean, all things considered, Abe was ex- acted extremely admirably in this episode, um, having watched his father get shot in the head. The fact that he was still able... To, to like to even act with half of the level of composure that he did is actually a huge testament to how far he's come as a character as well. Um, we have a comment in the live chat. Although Richard volunteered to be exchanged, I wonder how Abe's relationship with Ben will be affected. Will he blame him? Oh, Shauna, thank you for that in the chat. That's a really good question. Um, I feel like Abe, like I said, his resolve, I think, to keep fighting the good fight will be enough. But yeah, this was this was Ben's plan. And it was also, you know, to rescue Caleb as well. Is there going to be some resentment there uh, in terms of whether or not, especially if it turns out that Caleb did give Simcoe information, even inadvertently. Um, but speaking of... I want to talk about Simcoe for a hot second because I feel like he's in the wrong line of work. If he could somehow control or at least delegate his violent tendencies, like he shouldn't be just a mercenary. He should be some sort of Machiavellian schemer. He would be so good in the upper echelons of either military side or I don't know. I feel like a crime boss. He should be a crime I, I don't think that. I don't know how. He would actually probably be a perfect mob boss, actually, now that I think about it. Um, because he has shown a type of cleverness that we really only get from really interesting Machiavellian-style villains. And this is just him thinking strategically, knowing now what he does about the Culper Ring, knowing that it's the group of people who tortured him in Setauket. Like, that is a huge bit of information that was constantly kept from him that kept him from taking the appropriate action for the past three seasons now. 
now that he has that information, he has a type of laser focus that is downright chilling. And it is just, it's incredible to see him play with other people as though they're chess pieces and to see the devastation that is caused just by him knowing where to send the right group of people and knowing who to talk to and when. It's one of those things that as a villain, he's going to be, he is going to continue to be very interesting to watch, especially in the way that he goads Benedict Arnold and the, the way that he can get under Benedict Arnold's skin. Um, but yeah, let's, let's get back to, uh, to kind of what's going on with this prisoner exchange, because there's also another familiar phrase from Satakit that also probably didn't plan on being there, but ended up being there that day. Akinbo day is, he, you know, he's kind of hit a dead end when it comes to trying to find Abigail. Um, so he's hanging around uh, this one encampment where they're trying to find volunteers and, for this one mission. And he decides to volunteer as he sees the Queen's Ranger sort of closing in. So he's like, I'm going to peace out. And I hope that, like, this is a cool mission. I hope this isn't going to go... Uh, <laughs> I hope in no way will there be any negative repercussions to me just signing up for the first mission I come across. And it's... Interesting, too, because there seems to be a relationship between him and Caleb that was previously unknown to the audience, and maybe they went into this a little bit with the prequel comics. I will be honest, I have, it's been a while since I've read some of those, and even the ones I read, I didn't read all of them, and I don't recall there being any prior relationship, but at one point, when Akinbode sees that it's Caleb that they're in the middle of rescuing for this exchange, he is kind of shocked. He is like, oh, well, we tried to kill each other once. It's like, wait, wait a minute. What? No, no, no. Go back. Go back. Go back. You have to, you have to give the audience context for that comment because if that was something that happened in season one, I missed it. <laughs> He's certainly, oh, I do remember, actually. No, this was something in season two after he became a Queen's Ranger. I was thinking this was something, something, oh, way back when. But no, absolutely. There was that whole standoff. Don't listen to me, guys. Uh, but yeah, when when he was a Queen's Ranger, they did have a shoot-off with, uh, with Caleb and Ben, if I recall correctly. So yeah, they did try to kill each other. I thought... I feel silly now. This <laughs> I feel silly now. It was in the episode challenge in season one, episode eight. I'm silly. Sorry, guys. That's a continuity on my part. Uh, thank you so much to Mo Girick in the chat for mentioning that. And Latoya Morgan. Hi, Latoya. It mentions in episode uh, 108, Caleb was with Ben when Rogers and Kimbode crossed paths in the standoff. So that was even before Simcoe took charge of the Queen Rangers. So, wow, that was a world ago. Goodness. But talking about that particular standoff, it creates an interesting dynamic with him and Caleb because Caleb recognizes him. It's like, you were there and you were trying to shoot me. That's... At another prisoner exchange. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Turnland. Yep. Um, and I think that even though I clearly had a mental mental fog there for a moment, I think that really is a good testament to 
everything about this season coming full circle. These this is some that's something that happened two and a half seasons ago, and it's still having repercussions here because Caleb knows he can't trust he can't trust that guy, um, and yet he is a key player in this prisoner exchange. So that's going to be interesting, uh, especially since Akinbode saves Abe, but ends up running off with all of the ransom money. Um, so I feel like that's going to be very helpful to him as he continues to try to find a way back to Abigail. But honestly, those are funds that the army probably really needed. So it's going to be interesting to see how not only do they come back with a lot less men, they also come back without any money. Although talking about somebody, I, I missed it in the chat earlier, but talking about Robert Rogers in that previous standoff, um, because he also had uh, kind of a vendetta with Ben Talmadge, talking about Rogers, looking at the way Simcoe handles the Queen's Rangers and seeing how a lot of characters have come back this season, uh, we had a question in the chat from, I, I'm sorry, I don't remember who, about whether or not Robert Rogers was going to come back. I feel like he could just very well sail off into the sunset and now that he's gotten his revenge on John Andre and never have to worry about any of this nonsense going on again. But he also, I mean, there are a few vendettas that he still hasn't necessarily kind of fulfilled. I definitely think we could be seeing Robert Rogers somewhere in the near future, especially since he and Akinbode had such an interesting relationship. Um, and Akinbode has had a very interesting relationship with both Rogers and Simcoe. Rogers actually treated him like a human being uh, before he before he was ousted as the leader of the Queen's Rangers, and Simcoe also treated him as the only person he could trust within the Queen's Rangers. He's the only person he knew from Satakit. So it, it's going to be very interesting if Rogers continues to try to sort of take down the various people that have wronged him, what side does Akinbode fall on when that when push comes to shove? Or does he fall on any side? Does he just kind of throw up his hands and go, hey, uh, I'm just I'm just looking to get my girlfriend and we're gonna go to Canada and that's that's really all I want. Um, so you guys have your little feud. Uh, we're just gonna go. Uh, and speaking of Abigail, uh, I want to toss it over a little bit to the Benedict Arnold sort of side of the story because Abigail and Peggy have a great relationship mostly because Peggy doesn't realize how big of a role Abigail played in uh, in poor John Andre's demise. And that's not something that Abigail is proud of. Um, we have uh, another comment in the live chat. Simcoe wanted the Rangers to, to look like Rogers Rangers. Oh, yeah, because in the ambush, because um, they wanted them to look like bandits. Uh, <laughs> and Turnlin says, I think girlfriend and Canada is a Kinbidae's only goal. I feel like those are valid. I feel like those are valid. Um, anyway, so to kind of get back, Abigail and Peggy have this very interesting relationship, mostly because Peggy doesn't realize how big of a spy Abigail is. But Abigail does have this affection for Peggy in the same way that she cares about Anna and a lot of other people that she's come to know. And even though she's acting as a spy, 
it's one of those things where, like, as people, you get to know those people, and it puts her in a very interesting, precarious position, um, and one that fills her with a lot of guilt. And ultimately, at the end of the day, Abigail just wants to do what's best for Cicero. So being in this household where the head of the household, Benedict Arnold, very much resents her for being there because she worked for John Andre creates an interesting dynamic, too, because I feel like she just needs to steer clear of him at all costs. But Peggy loves this woman. Uh, Peggy loves her a lot. And Peggy also takes a lot. Peggy, Peggy's in an interesting position in the last few episodes. And I, I've i been wondering what Peggy's endgame is now that John Andre is dead and gone. I'm wondering whether or not she has any compulsion to continue fighting for the, the Redcoats because, I mean, she loved him and that was her only motivation for becoming a spy and a traitor in the first place. And now she's stuck in this marriage with a man she doesn't love. And on, you know, I, I don't know. I, I imagine her life isn't that much different from the way it started because they were, they were all Kingsmen um, before Philadelphia was taken. Uh, so it's, again, it's a very interesting sort of situation. I'm just wondering what she wants to do now that, in her mind, Philomena's out of the way and Andre's gone. What sort of future does she think she has? And we don't really get that kind of a sense of that until towards the end of the episode when Arnold after questioning Philomena finds out about Philomena's relationship with John Andre and the reason that Philomena was imprisoned was specifically because Peggy was jealous and also yeah I don't I don't know how whether or not Peggy suspects uh how much of a role she uh she actually played in John Andre's death but I feel like she I feel like she has a pretty good idea. But anyway, finding out that's the main reason why Peggy basically threw her under the bus and that Freddie, of all people, was the one that gave up Philomena or was probably strong-armed into it uh, if Josh's uh, assertion from last week can be believed. Uh, He was definitely strong-armed into giving her up. It's going to be very interesting. Um, We have... Caligari Library in the chat going, the real Peggy Shippen and Benedict Arnold went to England. And this is, maybe that's where their sort of storyline goes uh, at this particular moment because at the end of this episode, Arnold goes to confront her and she basically admits, yeah, I did love him and I wish it had been you that died instead of him. And she storms out of the door and Arnold finds that the box that she was going to surprise him with on the table before he unceremoniously threw everything off was a pair of baby shoes. She is pregnant. And in real life, they had several children. I want to say they had like five kids. But in the show, this is a very interesting development because obviously she's just now asserted that she doesn't love him in any way, shape, or form. And now they have the chi- a child on the way. Uh, Josh also says, sorry, Philomena, my bad. <laughs> 
yeah, I kind of rock in a hard place sort of there. So maybe going to England is what the show has in mind for them as well, because there's not really... I mean, if they have a child on the way, that might be the best thing to do. Although, speaking of real-life historical accuracy, uh, Cracked, for those of you guys who are fans of uh, that website, they actually put out a video about the real-life Benedict Arnold, and they talked about how he was an American hero, something that people who have been watching Turn know for quite have known for quite some time, about how he was an American hero before becoming a traitor, and how a lot of other people who because were actually probably bigger problems to the revolution than actual Benedict Arnold was. So it's a very interesting video that they did, so I highly recommend going to their YouTube channel to check that out. Um, I'll tweet it out later. But, uh, so yeah, um, Turnland also says, I think the scene was incredibly um, cathartic for Peggy in particular. The way that Arnold, uh, Arnold swept off the table and emotionally did the same thing. Um, ooh, I like that. Visual storytelling at its finest. That's a great observation. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was, it's one of those things where that you finally clear away everything else that's standing in between you and you're left with the truth and the truth is not a very pleasant thing in this scenario. And it's something that I've always wondered whether or not Peggy had at least has at least some affection for Benedict Arnold, but not at this moment, not after he basically tears into her for having loved John Andre, basically calling her a whore and telling her that, yeah, he offered to pay uh, for us to break off our engagement. And I called you a whore to his face and now he's dead. And that's really upsetting for everybody. Um, Shauna also in the chat, I think this may be the end of Abigail spying. She may focus on trying to get over her guilt, helping Peggy through this. I feel like that would be a good thing for her character as well. Like, um, I feel that's probably actually a really good progression for her is kind of trying to work through the guilt she feels over having played a role in John Andre's death with helping Peggy through this very difficult situation, this very difficult marriage that she's now in and now pregnancy. Although as, as we kind of pointed out, uh, she may very well be aware that Akinbo Day is looking for her. And as a result, she might not, and, and looking at how violent uh, Benedict Arnold is, she might be looking actually for the first opportunity to take leave of this place, even if that means leaving Peggy behind. And I hate to say that because I know she cares about Peggy, but at the end of the day, Cicero is the one that is the most important to her. And if Akinbo Day goes, hey, I got tons of money and passage to Canada, let's go now, she's probably going to say, okay, cool, I'll leave a note for Peggy, maybe. Which is so upsetting, but ultimately, yeah, she's going to do what's best for Cicero. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about Anna real quick, uh, because Anna's kind of having her own problems over at, uh, at the camp, because for some reason, people seem to think that because she has Ben Talmadge's ear, uh, for whatever reason they want to believe, that if they complain to her... He'll be like she'll be able to complain to him, and that he'll be able to get the troops the the pay that they are owed. Which again, 
Cracked has also done some very interesting videos on uh, fi- the financing of the Revolutionary War and how they how they survived the winter, et cetera, et cetera. Again, highly recommend going to check out their channel and seeing all of the fun history videos they do on the Revolutionary War. It's a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, and it's not just that fact that people are complaining to her because they know Talmadge listens to her for whatever reason, but she actually even has this conversation with who of all people but Alexander Hamilton. And it's actually really, it's such a weird sort of scene because maybe it's just because he doesn't know her really at all, but he's very dismissive of her. And that's not really something I was expecting seeing Alexander Hamilton uh, th- at this point in the season. I, But at the same time, he's dealing with a lot of frustrations and Talmadge isn't there. And he's like, I've already written to Congress numerous times about this particular situation. Hey, and, and so it must kind of be insult to injury to have um, this woman come up to him that, in, if I recall correctly, he hasn't actually met and just start complaining about what he should and shouldn't be doing and he's like you know what why don't you write why don't you write to them and see how effective that is and I'm I'm sitting here watching this going like well I guess she could write to Martha and maybe that works maybe get in that because Martha has her own plans for uh for gathering finances which again I absolutely adore um and can't wait to see more of this season so that's interesting but ultimately what and again i am not sure if she do, she's doing this because she feels like she needs to do something while all of her friends are out on this prisoner exchange mission to get Caleb back or if it's just that she needs something to do needs some sort of cause to take up or if she just also feels like it's finally time to address the thing she's been running away from she writes to Sila and writing to Sila, I love the little bit of acting, both in the voiceover and in her, her actual physical performance that Heather Lind gives, because as she starts this letter, she starts it and then stops, because it's like, what do you say? What do you say to the man that you have cheated on and abandoned, who, you know, who's still, who's still probably very much in love with her, but she probably, I mean, she probably cares about him a lot, but not in that way. Uh, otherwise, I don't think it would have taken her nearly as long to write to him. But she basically writes to him and asks him to to plead on her on the on behalf of the army there. And so that's, and to let him know that, hey, she's safe and... I don't know. I'm not sure what this is going to do for their relationship, if that's going to be the leverage that she needs um, to get the army what it needs, or if he's just going to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go see her immediately now um, and try to get her away from all this, or what. I'm I'm not sure how, like, the whole situation with Sila is going to end up this season, um, but I feel like 
like most things, it's probably not going to end well. But the only other thing I kind of want to comment on in terms of Anna being at the camp and at least contributing to things on sort of a strategic level is I actually really like the idea of once everybody's back at camp and they're formulating their strategy moving forward, I kind of like the idea of Anna and Simcoe basically strategizing against one another because he knows that the the crew from Setauket are the ones responsible for the Culper Ring, with the exception of Anna. I think Anna is the one person he's not really sure is in on it, or he doesn't think is in on it, um, because he makes a comment in this episode about wanting to be married someday when he's talking to Arnold. Um, so I really like the idea of like that still being the one piece of the puzzle that he still doesn't have, and the two of them forming formulating strategies to try to one-up one another because Anna knows what they're up against when it comes to Simcoe. Simcoe, he's a very smart man, but I like, I really like the idea of him playing sort of this game of chess with somebody without really knowing who his opponent is. I just, I am, that tickles my fancy in particular, uh, in terms of what I think would be very interesting for this show to do. Um, Turnland says again, for whatever motivation, I love that Anna has been uh, chronicling the life and troubles of camp life, something we didn't learn about in history class. Uh, It's one of the reasons that they love Turn. And I concur. It's, and we, we talked about this a little bit last week too. I could, like, if I read about this, about life in camp, I would probably be bored to tears if I was in my history class. You know, reading about hay and pay negotiations, I would, like, I feel like those are the bits in my history book that my eyes would just sort of glaze over and I would just get to whatever fact I feel like, I felt like was going to end up on the quiz the next week. But this show brings a lot of humanity to those things that we are kind of kind of distanced from through history. You know, it's not something that we got that was really focused on when we were being taught about this in school. So it's 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 an it's very it's kind of gratifying to sort of see how a little bit more of the day-to-day was done. Even even just the little tidbit of like people not sleeping all the way through the night. Um, all the way back in season one was a really interesting bit of like, oh, I didn't know people used to do that. That's actually, that makes a lot of sense, uh, all things considered, because we live very differently now. Uh, So yeah, I I agree. I think that's one of the things that makes this show stand out. Well, guys, I'm going to be honest. I did not actually get to see the preview for next week. My recording got cut off uh, as soon as the credits started rolling. So I'm afraid I don't really have much of an idea of what the next episode is going to entail because uh, I had I didn't see the promo. But if I were to venture a guess, I would definitely think it would be the the boys from Setauket regrouping and trying to figure things out. And yeah, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there as a prediction. Robert Rogers. I want Robert Rogers to come back. And yeah, I'm going to include that in my predictions. Uh, Anna is going to be the, uh, the key strategist in terms of taking out Simcoe and the Queen's Rangers. Um, so again, I think that just about does it for tonight, everybody. 
Um, I want to thank all of you guys in the live chat for for keeping me company tonight uh, as uh, Katie's off on her solo mission. I really appreciate uh, you guys sticking around and hanging out with me as I chit-chat about this show. Um, Again, if you haven't already done so, please go to iTunes to rate, subscribe. We love hearing from you guys. Uh, And if you are interested, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at TheManguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I am also on a bunch of shows here at AfterBuzz TV. And I write articles for the movie chick. That's chick with two K's. Be sure to check those out. I also uh, be sure to check out the latest episode of the Shadow Radio Recreation, uh, where I do the voice of Margot Lane. Thank you guys so so much. Uh, and again, tweet at me all throughout the week with the hashtag #ABTVTurn. I want to know what you guys think is coming uh, for the rest of the season because if what we've seen in this episode is any indication, it's going to be a rough ride. But thank you guys so so much for tuning in. We will see you all next time. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.